The reading today is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, <clears throat> verses 3 through 14, found on page 978, 978 of your pew Bible. <clears throat> Let's open in prayer. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. You have graciously given us your word, pure, inerrant, and infallible. Melt our hearts of stone. Pour your spirit on us that we may worship you in spirit and truth. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when, thing, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. The word of God for the people of God. I can't read this passage without remembering a wedding I did, and uh, it was the first time I had Bible software I was going to read the part of Ephesians about husbands love your wives, and I messed up and printed out um, another verse, so I was very happy to have caught myself as I stood before the couple and the congregation, and I looked down, and the words were, it is shameful to speak of what these do in the dark. <laughs> We've moved to a section where we're continuing to talk about how we live out the faith, how we have been clothed with Christ and now that we've heard the gospel and we respond to the gospel, we live in response to that. And um, we've moved now to where rather than talking so much about or where the emphasis is about our relationship with one another, that there not be bickering and grumbling and, dece and deceit and these sorts of things, we've moved where the focus is now more on our relationship with God. And you might wonder how that works because it's sexual immorality and uh, greed but see, these expose our hearts. In these things, we're talking about our desires. And our desires ultimately uh, should be shaped by God and a desire for Him. And our relationship with these things expose our longings, our desires, and where our true hope is, and where our 
um, true um, sense of where we're going to get happiness and satisfaction and um, security. They're, they're here. And one of the um, things that just strikes me is um, how these are held together. Uh, in, in our time, we, we seem to have divided um, very much between um, kind of political lines and where we might stand on issues being based on these. And so it, it could be very much that in some congregations, the focus of this message would be on sexual immorality and almost forget that he talks about greed and covetousness. And others, they could be looking very much at greed and covetousness and downplay where he's talking about sexual morality. But as biblical Christians, we look really, we should look really weird. We should be, you know, have both sides want to say, yeah, you're with us until we start talking about another. And they're like, hang on, we don't go there. So uh, there, there are things that, that the Occupy Wall Street movement was talking about that we should be saying, yes, you know, there, there's some issues here that we need to be looking at. And there's other issues that I know we're, we're considered, you know, Puritans who are, um, as far as sexual ethics, but I, I think that's a good idea that you're along biblical lines when you don't fit very comfortably in, um, um, in, in anybody's Facebook feed. So he talks about these to not even be named among you that this should be something so um, out of place that we, we shouldn't um, have it in our midst, that we should not have our conversation about it, that it's not just something we, that doesn't occupy our, our, our thoughts or our conversation, that it'd be something that, that we don't even partner with those who would um, celebrate these things, and that we should expose them and bring them to the light. And so let's, let's begin by exposing our own hearts. It's always a good place to start before we do anything, is to let's look at our own hearts on these issues. Let no sexual immorality be named among you. Um, did a wedding yesterday, read the right parts, which was good. Read the right scripture. Um, but it, it wasn't here. It was um, uh, at a venue and so, as I read the traditional um, uh, part of the Book and Common Prayer that I have read at every wedding I have done in the 20-something years I've been a pastor, as it talked about marriage between a man and a woman for nurture of one another, encouragement of one another, for the procreation of children. And as I read from Mark's Gospel, um, the passage that is often read at weddings, um, he, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. As I read these words, it felt almost like a revolutionary act. To, to make these claims in front of a, a group of people, I'm not sure where their faith was because um, this, we'll see if our Facebook feed gets taken down for, for saying those things. But the biblical understanding of sexual relationships is a covenant relationship between one man, one woman, and anything outside of that is pornea, sexual immorality. And that, that is what God calls us to. And so he, 
It was just as out of place in the Roman Empire as it is today. It, the, the thing at that time was it was just seen as an appetite you should feed. I mean, you, you had your marriage, and that was for legal issues of, of children, but you needed to feed your appetite, and however you met that was up to you, and who cared? Let me mention two things that have thrown us off track on this and why that just sounds bizarre to many of us, especially our younger people. I know that has to sound just strange, but one is just... Look at your, your arm or your leg. Or your touch. You're Presbyterians. You don't do this. So <laughs> let me show you. This, this is me. This is me. This, we talk as though our body is something different from us. But your body is you. You're not something separate from your body. And we are in a world now that we have psychologized ourselves. We've made ourselves only the interior self. We've said my psychology dominates everything, and the real me is inside and inward, and we act as though our body is just a tool. There's even those who think that maybe we can some way upload our minds into a computer because the body is not who we are, but your body is you. It's not something alien. It's not something separate from your soul. Your soul and body are together. That's why we confess the resurrection of the body. That's why Christ became a body. Your body is real, and it is who you are. And, and we have, because we can now sever, uh, because of birth control, procreation from what brings it about, and because of science, we can keep a lot of disease. We act as though if we can protect our body, then whatever we do is okay as long as it doesn't hurt. And because of that, we have separated acts we do with our body from our soul and for the communion that takes place. And, and we act as though anything outside of a covenant, as long as it doesn't hurt our body, is irrelevant. But the biblical understanding is that acts with the body are acts of the soul, acts of our, our heart, and, and these aren't to be separated. And we've also, the second thing, is that we have moved to, away from an understanding of, of, you know, biblically we would say marriage and relationships and consummation of marriage is about covenant, it's about faithfulness, it's about having an intimacy that is physical, that matches an intimacy that has legal binding, that has economic binding that has the saying, everything I am, I'm given to you, and I'm going to tie myself to you um, through the laws and all of this before I, I give myself to you physically. And we've separated from that. We, we moved to a phase where, hey, it's an appetite, and as long as you feed the appetite and it doesn't hurt anybody, it's okay. But now we're at a point where everything is self-expression, that everything is about me showing my interior self and you accepting and celebrating. And, and rather than being something where we um, looking at relationships as part of a community and, and for the good of the other and for the good of children, we look at relationships as how does this express who I am? So with that, test your heart. The, the phrase we, we had used at a time was um, chastity 
um, was purity, was connection within marriage, you're staying committed, and outside of you're staying pure. And that's what God calls us to, all of us. And that indicts all of us. All of us can look at ourselves and see where we go astray. And so I encourage you to look at that. Where are the places you need to confess? Where are the places you need to come back to God and say, this is wrong? I, I, I just, this is here. The odds are, if I'm looking at statistics um, and applying it to here, is that we have a number of people looking at things on the Internet they don't need to. And you can do that privately, and no one knows about it. And I just want to encourage you, let God draw you to where you need to be. Look, you know, find, find a resource to struggle against that because God cares about purity um, for all of us. And that, that should strike all of us of where are we being pure, where do we need to follow God. So let's move on to money. Oh, this is this is meddling with everything. <laughs> it is not uncommon for someone to come to me and confess um, issues with sexual immorality because it's pretty obvious when you do it. Tim Keller said nobody wakes up and says, oh, you're not my wife. But we do recognize those sins. I don't know if I've ever had anyone come to me and say, I think I'm greedy. I think I'm not content enough. I think I'm coveting too much. Because it's so hard to recognize in ourselves. We we can recognize the other. We know it. I mean, but but greed, well, that's somebody else's thing. It's never us. One of the reasons is we can always point to somebody with more than ourselves and think, well, you know, they're probably kind of greedy. They have more than me. But greed also impacts us all. And and it it is like sexual immorality, it is so much a part of our culture that we, we have this message that ambition and getting more, well, that's the American way. I mean, if we took this serious, it would destroy the American economy to, to get rid of sexual immorality and, and greed. I mean, that, I, I can remember being told that to, to help the economy, we need to go spend money, go, go shopping. That, that's what we got to do. And, and we're told to just buy more and get more, and we're told constantly that these things are going to satisfy us and they're going to make life better. And um, I don't know if they still use the term retail therapy, but we're, we always want more. And I think this is one of those things that we're such a part of the culture, it's very hard for us to see it in ourselves. Because of that, let me suggest that how do we expose this, what, what Paul calls idolatry? Um, one is, well, let, me, let me just say, how many of you, no show of hands, how many of you, one of your big problems is storage? How many of you have so much stuff that you really need some place to put it? Very few of us, our, our problem is not having enough. Our problem is probably that we have more than we need. Number two, examine your debt. 
I understand we get in times when we have needs, there's, there's issues we have, but looking at debt, how much of debt that you have is because you're not content and you're living beyond your means because you want more than you can afford at a moment. And again, I mean, we get into situations where we need debt. We, 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 we ha- things happen, so I'm not saying this... It, but is it not the case that too often we get something we don't need and we go beyond where our needs are? Number three, it's really quiet in here, so let me say, as I looked at my new guitar, I had to preach it myself too. <laughs> Number three, how many excuses you come up with? What's your gut reaction when you're asked to give? I, I, we, we wanted to kind of look at how giving is in the church and um, ask Clifton to just, you know, how many households give? And I was shocked because it was about a quarter. And thankfully, he knows math and reminded me that households are counted as one, not both couple. So that was good. But, but significant number don't give. And, and I'm, I'm not, what I want to say is I, I think it's rare that someone doesn't give to the church and is generous in other places. And it might be the case that you're not giving but giving somewhere else. But the question is, how easy is it for you to give? Not just here, but anywhere. When, when you hear of a need, when, when you see a need, how easy is it to come up with excuses why you shouldn't. We are to be generous, and if, if we are greedy, it's very hard for us to be open-handed with those we see in need. How easy is it for you to give to others, or do you, you have a knee-jerk reaction that reminds that that would cut into the things you want, the things you think you need? So both of these, I think... We should stand and say, I have to look at my heart. I have to look at my own self, both with regard to sexual immorality both and with regard to greed. And, and what they show me is a heart that is still longing for other things other than God. And we hear this word. Those who do such things... Make sure this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We need to hear that warning. We need to hear that he tells us that there is a lot of deception and, and with both of these areas to tell us, one, Sin really isn't that serious. We downplay these things, and yet God says they are serious. God says his wrath is poured out on these things. I mean, we we say things like, does God really care where my money goes? God has plenty of money. Does he care what I do with my money? Or does God really care who I sleep with? Does he really care about me being um, a good person in other ways? And this says, yes, he does. Because those things show your heart, and God cares about your heart. God wants your heart focused on him. 
And we've deceived ourselves by saying these aren't serious enough to wreck God's wrath. We've deceived ourselves by saying becoming a Christian doesn't really involve repentance. We say it's mostly about belief, and I, I, I hope we don't proclaim grace in such a way that anybody doesn't say, I have to turn from something in order to turn to God. I think the American church for, for generations has just said belief, just, just trusting this without saying repent and believe that there are things we must turn from. In order to believe, we must repent. Repentance is belief. They're, they're both sides of one coin. And we must recognize our need, our sinful need, and our need to turn away. The, the, the thought has been striking me that I think we want to be saved too often from the guilt of our sin without recognizing we are to be saved from our sin. Do you see the distinction? God saves us from our sin, not just from the guilt. We are justified, and the guilt is taken away on the cross, and we give thanks to God for that because it's not just that we're forgiven. It's that he is taking us away from these things that destroy us, that eat away from us, that ruin us, that he's freeing us from the bondage to these things so that we no longer want to do them. And salvation is not just saying you're forgiven, but it's bringing you out of the things that lead you away from God and from life and from joy. So understand, God is as faithful through his threatenings as he is to his promises. But hear, as loud as you hear that, hear the promise. You are children of light. He's saying this to those who have trusted in Christ, that you have trusted in him. And and so he's saying it's not that you you get all this and then you earn your way and then you come. He's saying that you have become children of light, therefore walk as you are. You've been claimed and brought into the family. Live as though you are part of this. The, The light of Christ will shine upon you when you've awakened from the dead. You have new life and new power to walk in this. And we never need to take this out and hear that, that, that threat and that warning without remembering this is part of the same book that said, before the foundation of the world, he knew you, he chose you, he loved you, he predestined you, but he predestined you for good works not just to have your guilt taken away, but to have the guilt taken away so that you can be freed for living a life of purity and of contentment that shows that you trust in the one who can fulfill what sex and money promise us. See, it's not just he's saying, I want you to do these things. It's arbitrary, be be a good boy, be a good girl. No, he's saying you're being deceived to think that you are going to find your justification, your, your satisfaction, your security, your protection, your sense of self-worth in how much you make and how much you have and who finds you attractive, and that'll never be enough. It'll never fulfill that longing in your heart you're trying to fulfill with those things. Only He will. The one who gave Himself on the cross will fill you, will satisfy you, Trust in him and live in faith 
that shows your contentment and satisfaction in him. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine, be honor and glory and power forever. Amen.